Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. If you're local to the San Francisco Bay Area, UP Academy, our progressive elementary school, is now enrolling for fall of 2022. So welcome Rebel Educators to this episode of the Rebel Educator Podcast. Welcome Rebel Educators. I am here today with S.J. Barraconi. He describes himself as the education Sherpa, a super connector, a futurist, the intersection of the futures of education and work, a thought leader, a podcast guest, and future host a guest blogger and historian. He is committed to the entrepreneurial pathway that he believes is the very best vehicle to serve, solve, and share. It enables win-wins in all of their forms and aligns with a producer and growth mindset. Welcome, SJ. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction, and it's a pleasure to be here. Your work is at the intersection of education and entrepreneurship. So can you talk about what you see as the skills for the future of work and how our schools are preparing students for this? I believe the intersection or what some of your downloaders, your audience would recognize as a Venn diagram, they overlap. I believe all of the skills are going to be, maybe not all, let's say eight or nine out of every 10 are going to be soft. They're going to be transferable. They're going to be interpersonal, life skills, people skills. All of these terms are semantics for each other. However, this is not a new message. Back in the 30s and 40s in that era, Dale Carnegie used a term, as I recall, called human engineering. And he was talking about this very same thing, yet in many respects, Your rebel educator listeners should be aware that we unfortunately never completely cracked the code. So here we are approaching 80, 90 years later. He said about 85%. I think it's right in that window. So those skills are the most important ones that you can transmute to your kids, to your grandkids. If you're in business for yourself and you hire people, to those you hire. If you're in a church and you have church members, whatever your vocation or occupation is. When we're talking about soft skills or interpersonal skills or life skills, we're talking about collaboration and the ability to empathize with one another and different ways of looking at how to solve a problem. Are these examples of the skills that you're addressing? Yes, there are many a definition. And where do you cut off the line? How do you, you know, there's a lot of moving parts here. You were kind enough to mention in the introduction, thought leader. And I exhibit thought leadership in this space, but I am far from the only one. So let's characterize it this way. Quick little walk through history. Back in 2017-ish, I sat on a national steering advisory committee for soft skills in the uh, workplace. And we, over a period of time, narrowed it down to 10 of them. And then they were packaged up into a little uh, boot camp. Can you do something like that? 
Sure, but that leaves an awful lot out. Can you potentially, though, replicate that boot camp and put maybe two, three, four, five of them together? You sure can. A lot of different ways to peel that onion, unpack it, whatever way you want to use the metaphor. But those are exactly the skills and sort of marrying these two questions together. The vast majority, there's always a silver lining. So if there's a school out there, public, private, faith-based, secular, micro, whatever, that's doing this, I would love to be contacted to know who you are because I hear you, I see you, and I want to celebrate you. But the vast majority, though, are going to fall flat on their face because the schools are not teaching these. You know, we kind of started talking about the future of work. So how does the future of work, and when we're looking at the gig economy now and things the way they are changing, how is that different from the way work has been done in the past? And how should schooling evolve to make that connection? Lots going on there. Let's start here. First of all, some other terminology that, again, is synonyms, semantics for each other. Gig economy, sharing economy, independent workforce, the youpreneur economy. These are a lot of the phraseology. Again, very similar. Regardless, this future of work, future of education intersection, which is where I sit, is very different than where we were. And how can schools rise to that and how can they adapt or in such a lot, lot of different ways? The first thing to keep in mind is that this modality is bringing words that I believe education should be built around as well as a workplace, whether the workplace is physical in person, whether it's hybrid, whether it's distributed, remote, flex, regardless. And what are the common areas is I would say there are four E's, empowerment, edification, encouragement, and positive energy. And then a couple A's for good measure, autonomy and agency. These six concepts overlap between the two. And it is no longer about being in someone's employ. Because I would ask any of your listeners who have a deeper understanding than I of the ancient world, especially Latin, to please feel free to correct me if I'm mistaken on this. But my understanding is the word employ goes back in the Latin to mean to be used up. So in other words, every time we use the word employee, you are literally casting these people to be used up rather than to be drawn from and get their best skills, their best heart, spirit, and soul out of them. And that modality is archaic. It's out of step with the modern world. So you have the ability in this new economy to be fully and holistically independent as well as interdependent. And how can the schools rise to this? The schools have to do a lot of different things. Number one is you just got to leave the agricultural and industrial age behind. That's gone. It's over. So teaching to tests, grade levels, bells, siloing of information, refusing or downplaying or ignoring entrepreneurship and small business, except when you need funds when you're raising for 
you know, Girl Scout campaigns or whatnot, that's not going to work anymore. Embrace the fact that people are people and they deserve, you know, business professional work context to be treated that way. So the future of work is work and not jobs. Jobs is a modality of the industrial age. Doing work in the context of a project, a freelancer, an actual owner entrepreneur, doing gigs, that is the new measure. And schools of all kinds need to rise up to this. It's definitely a shift. When I was growing up, it was definitely going to school, seat time by the bell, 50 minute classes. You know, you get good grades, you go to college, you get a good job with a pension, you work there till you retire. And that's your job. That's your life. That's your employment, right? That's, <laughs> that's who you give everything to. And, and that was the idea of success. And now it's shifting into more of this idea of autonomy, of seeing people for people and the different parts to a project that each individual person can bring and their strengths and their individuality. But our schools haven't shifted yet. We're still very much in that industrial age of school where we're putting kids into tracks and these are the college track and this is the track of kids who's not maybe going to college because they're not as good at math and they're in the B or C math group instead of the A math group and separating kids and, and all of these things that we did in the early industrial age, essentially to create factory workers, right? And a really efficient level of education. So how then do we bring in that seeing people for people and that ability for agency and autonomy more into schooling? And how do we shift what that looks like? You know, to be able to bring out those six characteristics, those four E's and two A's that you talked about, how do we really incorporate that in so our students can be successful? Well, sometimes you'll hear in the context of bamboo. It doesn't seem to be growing for a while, then all of a sudden it just shoots up. You also sometimes will hear terms like cold turkey or phased in approaches or sunsetting something, lots of different ways to describe things. I can see it being very much customized based upon the needs of the locality, based upon the needs of the region of the community at large. I tend to be a big supporter of decentralization, where you customize what is needed. So this major shift and transition might be driven faster in a certain area than in another area. I would encourage the autonomy to be applied in that context too, on a more geographic level. The key thing though is the future is also now. So we have a trend right now that is getting different terms. It's called the great resignation, the great reshuffle, the big quit. This is um, a concept that has been growing over the past, give or take six months at the time of this recording. And I'm as a futurist, I'm keeping an eye on this because not only is it a future thing that's going to ripple throughout society and already has, but it has potential to move the needle on this faster because we don't have time, in my view, to wait for the centralized entities, the top-down 
command and control power dynamic entities to do anything about this. Driving it from the grassroots, bottom-up, servant leadership mindset, distributed, decentralized is going to be the way that it should be done in pretty much every community. At what speed and to what extent, width and depth, I think we should leave it for uh, the people who live there. It's interesting because it's almost the opposite of what we've done with education as we look at No Child Left Behind and all of the different initiatives that have come out from the federal government trying to centralize education and make sure that everybody gets the same, right? And everybody has the same education and everybody's level and everybody's equal. And of course, it hasn't accomplished any of those goals. But it's interesting to hear you say that education should be local. And that what students need in one place isn't necessarily what they need in another. And it's kind of a further take because I I talk a lot about not needing to learn content. Like we need to learn all of these skills and they're things that we're going to need for our humanity and to interact and connect and to do all of the things that robots won't be able to do, right? Those are the skills that we need to build. But we don't necessarily need to know all of the content because we carry around encyclopedias in our pocket. We can ask data and information. So then how do we decentralize that education and how does each locale decide what's important for their students to know? It begs an interesting question. It does. I tend to be of the mindset of the laws of lifetime growth. And I want to say it was number nine. It may have been number 10 although the order of them is subjective. Make your questions bigger than your answers. Don't expect an answer to everything. Our entire world, our nations, wherever your listeners and downloaders happen to be, our regional, provincial, county level, local entities, all of them, have to keep in mind that in many respects, expertitis or credentialism is oftentimes a worse response than the actual problem because you are basically christening people to attempt to solve something that is based on millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of decisions that are all coming together. Every household, every business, every church, every synagogue, every nonprofit, every government agency, every entertainment venue, all these decisions, right? And attempting to centralize things just simply, it might work short term, it might work with a force multiplier, but in the world of education where it intersects with work, I cannot endorse it in any way. And how can we look at this? I think we might be able to do something like this. We might be able to look at some sort of setup to where we literally can run some sort of crowdsourced experiment, perhaps, environment, where people have the ability to make decisions like we used to do in the days of Alexis de Tocqueville visiting America in the 1840s, he pens Democracy in America. And he talks about how Americans would make a lot of decisions on a very micro level. In many respects, 
if your audience is like me and they're a Gen Xer, they might remember the Back to the Future series. So we do have, in some respects, a little Back to the Future possible to a de Tocqueville type approach, where we again bring decisions back to the closest possible area where people can influence and crowdsource and come up with where are your challenges in your community, and then let's apply the response. Because in chaos, and uncertainty lies kernels of opportunity that we can learn from. And if we fail, fantastic. That didn't work. Let's go on and move on to something else because it's a teachable moment and it's an opportunity for reflection and growth. So if you were the leader of a school, what would that schooling or education inside that building look like? Or would there even be a building or would it even be called school? Well, the first thing is I'm a big believer in four types of leadership and no more. Well, let me, let me, let me modify that slightly. Four types of leadership that I know a lot about. There's a couple other modalities out there. And I'm sure if someone in your audience wants to bring others to my attention, please be my guest. The four that I subscribe to are um, conscious leadership, using consciousness and humanity to lead versus looking at it through a more of a management resource lens to employ, to use up, if you will. I also am a believer in a heart-centric leadership, where again, you understand that a lot of decisions are based on emotion. And where does a lot of emotion come from the heart instead of the brain? I also am a believer in thought leadership, mentioned that earlier. And then lastly, servant leadership, which I also mentioned earlier. So that's the first thing, if I am a leader is it has to go through that. There is no positional leadership in my world. Now, schooling and education, I see as radically different concepts. So I cannot see myself calling it a school. Maybe at the outset, because again, we've been using these terms for so long, it's so embedded in things. Depending on how you define it, I tend to trace back most of the existing system to the 1890s, 1893's Committee of Ten. If your downloaders and audience aren't familiar with that, feel free to look it up. There's plenty of books to talk about if you can't find it, but I'm sure you will. And in that time, depending on how you define a generation, six or eight generations roughly of Americans, let alone other other nations' citizens, have gone through this system. So there's no one alive right now that remembers what it was like before the default. So I I don't think I would call it a school long-term. Now, maybe short-term, again, that concept earlier of phasing in might need to do that. There's a concept I am just learning about right now as a futurist, so I'm going to toss it out there for consideration. And those in your audience and downloaders, please feel free to look into this and be happy to discuss it as well, because I could probably learn along with you, is empowerment hubs. That is a term that I'm hearing pop up now. So that would be something I lean towards because what was one of the six I mentioned earlier? Empowerment. So it aligns with something I already believe. And what is taught inside of that? Number one, every single client, student, friend of the institution would be giving a customized plan. There is no herding of cattle through the factory model conveyor belt. There is no grades. There is no grade levels. There is no testing and exams. All these things are pure industrial age, in some cases, agricultural age, and they are 
done. They are finito. No longer do we need them. We will fully align what is taught to what the community needs, because that is where a lot of conventional workforce development fails or at best returns mediocrity and averageness, because you have two centralized entities usually attempting to, I've heard it called, um, he was the former leader of IBM. I think Louis Gerstner wrote elephants can or can't dance. I forget the contraction. It's basically elephants dancing, or I've also heard it described as two water heaters attempting to dance. That is what's happening with a lot of workforce development right now. So we must eliminate that in the future. And that would be my empowerment hub's overall vision. That's a solid vision. (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you for the kind words. You were very solid, very stern. This is not working. This is not happening. Here's how we're moving. It's, it was a solid vision. So I, I run an elementary school and I love to hear what people remember from their elementary school days. And so if you can think back to a story, something that you remember, whether it's a teacher or a project or a thing, or even something that happened along that time frame to your elementary years and share a story with us. One popped up. I have a few others, but this is the one that I think will elicit some joy and a little bit of possibility thinking. That's another one of my favorites. No scarcity, no fear, no luck, none of that kind of crud. Possibility, growth mindset, abundance. So here's my story. I had a small piece of this, a very small piece of this. It was a big project that the elementary school I attended was embarking on. As I recall, it was the vision of third grade teacher. And she said, we are going to set a record for the number of bottle caps. And a big, huge container was put on the second floor, right up the top of the staircase. And all these bottle caps were being put in. And if I remember right, And I'm willing to check and send you a link if I can find anything, because this was done way before the internet, because I'm a Gen Xer. So third grade for me was when the internet was the province of the Defense Department and maybe a couple universities. So there was no internet. I'll see if anything has been published out there, and I'd be willing to include it for your show notes. But imagine this, you have to close your eyes to this big, huge plastic container And it had bottle caps up probably at least six or eight feet, I'm thinking. That was her vision, was to collect that many. And that thing sat there. And I think they put a plaque on it, too. That thing sat there. And it might still be there, for all I know. But I don't live in the same city where I used to go to school. But the school, I know, is still open. And I think it's still an elementary school. So I'm almost tempted to, at some point, go back and see if that thing's still there. So that is my story from many a year ago from my elementary years. You don't know if it was ever filled? It was filled. It was way up there. I think it was like six to eight feet. Yeah. <laughs> if you have listeners who are good with STEM, you know, with mathematics and such, you can only imagine how much it weighed because it was this big, huge cube and the volume and all those other measurements. It was something to behold. So that was like, that is still a memory I can grasp onto this day. It was something. It just goes to show that if you have a vision for something, cast the vision and attach your reality to it. And that's what was done. SJ, how can people learn more and get in touch with you? First of all, if you look up my name, 
S.J. Barracone. It's a very unique name. S.J. is my name and not initials. And if you look that up on LinkedIn, you're not going to find any issues finding me. So LinkedIn is a wonderful place to find me. I also do have an Instagram under the Education Sherpa. Those are my two oases, if you will, on social. I also have some bios and such out there, but I do not have a website at the moment per se, because I basically use my LinkedIn as sort of like my hub, my centerpiece of everything. That's just the way I've been doing it. And it works well. I have an email address. And then of course, I have a phone number. So those would be the top four. So thank you for asking. And it would be a pleasure to speak with anyone who listens to this at any time. And thank you for in advance for being willing to chat with me. Be glad to connect. Thank you, SJ. It's been wonderful chatting with you. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to serve, solve, and share. And I thank you so much. And I look forward to uh, speaking with you and anyone in your audience. Thanks, SJ. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Rebel Educator Podcast. I'd invite you to check out rebeleducator.com where you can see all of our upcoming workshops, webinars, and professional development opportunities. Upacademysf.com where you can see our current progressive elementary school in action. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Keep resisting tradition, Rebel Educators. Rebel Educators.